Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Essex Church, where this community of Kensington Unitarians has its spiritual home. Ours is a community created by all those who walk through our doors. We welcome you, whoever you are, whatever you are, however you are this Sunday morning. We are here now in this moment making space in our busy lives to connect. To connect with something within ourselves, perhaps. Something we may too often ignore in the distractions of our everyday lives. Here too is a possibility to connect with something greater than ourselves, with that which we hold to be divine. And here we can connect with one another in this, our worshipping community, this fellowship of fellow travellers on the great journey of life. Welcome, welcome one and all. Our service today is a loving celebration of our feathered friends the birds we share this planet Earth home with. And I asked three bird lovers, Anthony, Michaela and Jane, to tell us about their love of birds. They've written quite different accounts, and yet they share, I think, a common message. It can probably be summed up in those two words, pay attention. And as I've lit our chalice flame this morning, symbol of our worldwide liberal faith, and we see its flame burning brightly, May its light be with us and kindle a flame within our hearts that we might know and appreciate this gift of being alive and that we might pay better attention to the wonder of existence. I'm just going to read a few words from a wonderful book called How to Be a Bad Bird Watcher by Simon Barnes. It's really worth looking at. And I'm just going to read a bit about migration because the ceremony we're going to uh, invite you to take part in in a bit, our gathering of the waters ceremony, it celebrates people returning from their summers. Um, And even if your summer has been spent in London, there's a sense of a community gathering itself together again in the early autumn. This migration thing, he writes, is something to get your head round. I have a special love of swift for they are among the last arrivals. They don't come until spring is an accomplished fact. You know the season is at its height when the swifts are here, flying in on sickle-shaped wings. They will breed here, and the young will learn to fly, and eventually they leave their nests, and they take to the air as fish to water. They feed on the wing, sleep on the wing, live and have their being on the wing, They are the most committedly aerial of all birds, he writes. Then he goes goes on to talk about them making love on the wing and how if he was to be reincarnated, he might choose that experience to have. Uh, But then he makes a lovely point that the birds then migrate to southern Africa where the people there regard them as their birds returning, just as we regard them as ours. And as they reach their homes in southern Africa, they bring joy of a different kind, for they come surfing in on the weather fronts. 
High, high above, with a screaming you can hear but distantly, if at all. Little familiar specks in an altogether unfamiliar sky of blue-black fury. It is as if they are towing the reins behind, and Africans rejoice at the sight. The rainbirds are here, the rains are not far behind. Blessed relief from the heat and the fierce cold light. Wherever swifts arrive, they bring good news, the best. Just a few words about swifts. As each of us calls on the God of our hearts, the eternal spirit of all life and all love, as each of us aligns ourselves with all that inspires our being and guides our path. Great Spirit, help us to give thanks, even in those times when there may seem little to give thanks for. Help us to know that to take breath is to be a chosen one who knows life here on earth. In a brief time of stillness, let each of us, if we can, find something to give thanks for. In the week that is past... For most of us, there will have been times when we were less than we would wish to be. In stillness, let each of us acknowledge our errors and perhaps spot some way to move forward with them. We live in a world of many joys and many troubles. Let us now direct our loving thoughts and prayers to all those who suffer, perhaps people close to us or those we hear of only in the news, that all might know peace and justice and love this day. Dear God, may we be guided that the prayers of our hearts make a difference in the world. And may this be so for the greater good of all. Amen. Good morning. Um, This is a little talk that I imaginatively titled 
birds. Now, I've made some notes, uh, but I don't know whether to extemporise, that is, make it up as I go along, or wing it. Or maybe get out my smartphone, which I don't have, and tweet it. (laughs) Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here all weekend. It's going to be a long weekend. So here we go. Birds. Well, I just noticed, actually, there's a picture of my opening bird. They're different. Well, I've got a sparrow. Now, here we go. There is a providence in the fall of a sparrow, it says. Well, there's a lot of providence in London. Because sparrows, well, they've all gone. The sparrows. Always squawking, chattering, badly dressed, aggressive in large groups. Ideal Londoners. They've all, like routemaster buses and men with hats, they've all gone. But London, it seems to me, and from what I've noticed, is full of wildlife. And I don't just mean the West End on a Saturday night. But one of the wonders of the capital city is the amount of unexpected wildlife it supports. Cunning urban foxes, hawks hovering over Waterloo Station, kingfishers in Bethnal Green, or those Indian parakeets. Just on a side note, there's two theories as to how the Indian parakeet ended up in London. One was that Jimi Hendrix, living here in the 60s, he didn't like how grey and drab London looked, so he released a breeding pair. Unfortunately, that was not true. Or the other theory is that Shepparton Studios in 1951, when they were making The African Queen with Bogart and Hepburn, that they escaped uh, from the set and bred from West London out. Again, that's not true either, but I like the romance of it. <laughs> no, maybe it is true. We'll have that one. Actually, I like the African Queen one. It's my favourite. But as I say, London's full of wildlife, and nature abhors a vacuum, so the sparrows have gone, but I've noticed something else. Sitting on the Strand, or as my agent calls it, hanging around the West End waiting to get recognised, above the traffic and aircraft noise, I could hear birdsong. Maybe it was a squeaky wheel on somebody's luggage trolley, but no, it was definitely birdsong. I could hear it, but I couldn't see the singer. Then one day, I think it was in spring, I was walking along the Strand, again, hanging around the West End, and I saw the bird nestling in one of the trees outside the Zimbabwe embassy. It was a finch. It wasn't a bullfinch or a chaffinch or the smallest of the finches, the half-inch. <laughs> Panto season started up. It was the carnival-coloured goldfinch. And there it was, in a nest, underneath those trees, outside the Zimbabwe embassy. And if you know that embassy, on a Saturday, the, the protesters, I don't know if they still do it, I think they still do, on a Saturday afternoon, they drum for hours underneath those trees. But there it was, the gold pitch, happy as can be. And you can recognise, you can hear them. See, above the traffic noise, we never hear anything, especially right in the middle of central London. We don't expect to see anything but pigeons. But they have a particular trill, and it sounds, here's my impersonation. Thank you. (laughs) That was rather good, wasn't it? I threw my voice. (laughs) Say goodnight to the nice ladies and gentlemen. Um, It sounds something like this. It's kind of liquid trill, like a robin, but more sustained. Something like this. It's not my best impression. But you can hear that liquid trill any time you go around the West End. Now, on my journeys as an actor, I've been to Liverpool, Nottingham, many major cities. And I've noticed that they seem to fill the gap left by the sparrows. And once you begin to hear them, you begin to see them. Groups of goldfinches. And, of course, there's a special name for that. It's a murder of crows. 
Yes, you're ahead of me. There's a murder of crows, a pride of lions, or a whinge of actors. With goldfinches, it's a charm. And that's the charm. That's the magic. So, in conclusion to this ornithological ramble, look up. Beauty and miracles are to be found in the most unexpected places. They were always there. We just had to attune ourselves to see them. I'd like to make a suggestion, which is if you stick up a hanger with niger seed, you have, and grow evening primroses, you have goldfinches galore. My maximum number on my roof, just to show off, um, was 26 at once. And I thought that was really quite something. 20 is maximum this year so far. Because I notice my birds because I sit with them every single morning. That's how I start my day. That is how I think I, I kind of tr- manage the transition between sleeping and the day. Somehow just being awake and not awake at the same time. I mean, just being in dreamland, watching the birds, waiting for all my favourites to turn up. And that already is one of the things that you're going to hear, because I wrote this little uh, chapter for the book that the church published. So, um, anyway, I'm going to read from this now. Um, So, that's my morning meditation on the roof. And I look at the plants and flowers, and particularly at the birds, who come to all the various feeders. I try to be particular, to give those that like sunflower seeds, sunflower seeds, and those that like niger seeds, niger seeds, and those who like peanuts, peanuts, and those who like cheese, cheese, and those who like grapes, grapes, and those who like pears, pears. So it is a sort of special relationship that has developed over the years. Um, I think one of the things that I always find amazing is what do they do when I don't see them? Now, that could be a Kantian question, I think, sort of like, do they exist when I don't create them with my gaze? They probably do, I would imagine. I mean, Anthony saw them nesting goldfinch. He's never seen a goldfinch nest, so... um, uh, So they must have a life out there. They come patterned. It's very interesting. They come sort of like the... the, um, uh, the great tits come every hour. The blue tits come far more often. I mean, I think they're tiny. They need to eat a lot more. And I think what happens with me is that just seeing these birds and having a relationship with them and knowing, being able to predict where they're likely to land and whether they're likely to fly to another feeder or whether they're likely to fly off now, um, has created a relationship and it just fills me with a sense of belonging, with membership, with being part of the natural world that is so special. And especially, of course, I live alone. And so I think somehow or other they give me a dose of saying, Michaela, you are part of the living world, part of this into relationship that everything consists of and is part of. And it's very moving. 
and it's I think it's probably creates part of my sanity I would say and part of my my recognition that it is daily things everyday things that contain the wonder that nourishes us that takes us places takes us places of delight and joy and I think that's really what this is all about just the joy of seeing a bird or ideally lots of birds coming to my feeders and delighting my eyes and everything about me so. thank you When I was about 20 years old, in a secret Santa present exchange one Christmas, I let it be known amongst my old school friends that I wanted to get a book about birds. I'd no idea what brought on at that particular urge at that moment in my life. I do recall having fond memories of studying a wall chart that mum had bought me as a child so that I could identify the little birds we saw in our caravan garden on holiday in Kent each year. And uh, this very wall chart, I would say, set me on the path to being a bird watcher. So that Christmas, Secret Santa came good. And I pored over the beautiful book I'd been given, amazed at the variety of birds that exist in this country, most of which I'd never heard of, let alone seen. I started to wonder where they'd all been hiding. Um, And I was about to go away for a New Year's break in the snow in the Cambridgeshire countryside, a little cottage. So I packed the book to take with me. Soon after I arrived, I noticed an insistent calling uh, from a little tree outside my bedroom window. So I pulled back the curtains and I was greeted by a large-ish, pigeon-ish bird. And I remember thinking, hello, who are you? And this phrase still pops into my head whenever I see or hear a new bird or even a rustle in the undergrowth. And if nobody else is around, I have been known to say it out loud to the bird in question. I consulted my trusty bird guide and I found it was a collared dove. In fact, I noticed, I think Amanda's got it on the front of her order of service. Um, This at the time was thrilling news. Uh, It was a bird I had never met before and even now I find it exciting to meet a bird for the first time. Since then I found out collared doves are extremely common and they have a very repetitive cooing noise that can drive you absolutely crackers when they're parked in a tree just outside your bedroom window. (laughs) But at the time I was still smitten with the the new discovery so it didn't matter so much. In the early days of my life as a birdwatcher, I knew so few birds that I found myself happily tripping over new species everywhere. I remember that winter being especially grateful for ducks. Generally large birds, hard to miss, they tend to stay still long enough for you to get your binoculars on them, and they're a colourful treat during the winter months when they come here in large numbers from colder climes. Before then I'd never considered the possibility that there might be ducks other than mallards, but soon I had all these other species to think about, gadwale, uh, gadwall, pintail, widgeon, um, very beautiful birds um, that repay further attention, and lovely names as well. Along with my mum, I've always had um, a fondness for the little birds that were on my wall chart, uh, uh, birds such as tits and finches, um, but some of these, of course, as Michaela mentioned, will obligingly come to your garden bird feeder where you can look at them at leisure, but others are really challenging to spot being small fast moving and generally quite secretive and on top of this there's a whole class of birds that birders jokingly refer to as little brown jobs Um, there tend to be things like warblers which are 
very difficult to distinguish, distinguish. They're very similar apart from little variations in plumage or song. And they, they have a tendency to lurk in bushes and reeds where you can't see them. Anyway, despite these challenges, I found that as I've got further into bird watching, I've found this challenge of working birds out is enjoyable in its own way. And as a pursuit, it's taken me to all sorts of interesting places up and down the country as I've looked for their various different habitats and tried to seek out local specialities wherever I've gone. Now, I know that in some people's minds, birdwatching is a nerdy pursuit, just a form of collecting like train spotting that's about getting another tick on the list. There is an element of that, of course, especially amongst the hardcore twitchers who spend a fortune and most of their time heading up and down the country to pursue rare species. But for me, as, as it sounds like for Michaela and Anthony, birding is about slowing down and paying attention. To identify a wild bird, especially from just a fleeting glance, which is often all you get, you have to cultivate the habit, the long-term habit, of careful looking and listening. When you encounter a bird, you have to care about them enough to ask that question and say, hello, who are you? And then you have to stay put long enough to get to know them, to find out the answer to that question. And you have to do it on their terms. If you carelessly galumph into a bird's habitat, shouting at the top of your voice, wearing brightly coloured clothes, then the birds will most likely scatter and the bushes around you will be silent and lifeless. The first time you encounter a bird, you will probably need to focus on the fine detail and consult your field guide again and again. But with persistence in time, you become more familiar with each species, building up a relationship of sorts. And eventually you'll be able to re recognise that bird from just a glimpse, like you would an old friend. You may become increasingly aware that there is all this life out there, all these creatures with their daily struggles, which you simply didn't see before you started trying to recognise and name them. You may find yourself more intuitively in tune with the whole ecosystem and landscape, the interdependent web of which we are a part. Through bird watching, just slowing down and paying attention, you may find that you have forged a new, deeper relationship to your fellow creatures and that some of them really can be called your feathered friends. We earthbound creatures, in the week ahead, may we know our freedoms as well as our responsibilities. May we catch glimpses of feathered friends who remind us of other ways of being and other perspectives. And may we hear them singing their songs so that we might remember to sing the songs of our own hearts. Amen. Go well and blessed be.